have a mental health care declaration, living will, and power of attorney? A mental health care declaration, living will, and power of attorney are documents used by someone to document their preferences related to the treatment of their mental health and allows them to grant a person the authority to make mental health care decisions on their behalf should they ever become unable to make them on their own behalf. People often create documents like this if they anticipate a change in their mental health status that might leave them incapacitated for a period of time. But this sort of document can also be used as a preventative measure similar to other estate documents. The main purpose of the mental health care declaration and power of attorney is to get the person's wishes in writing and formalized so that they can be referred to and respected if the person is ever unable to communicate those desires themselves. While a mental health care declaration is used specifically for the purposes of explaining preferences related to mental health treatment, an advanced health care directive, also known as a living will, is used to provide instructions related to other types of medical care, including end-of-life care. Additionally, individuals may want to consider to assign someone to make financial decisions for a person if they become incapacitated and are no longer able to manage their own affairs. To do this they may wish to enact a power of attorney. For those considering invoking a mental health care declaration, living will, and power of attorney to be legally enforceable they need to be in writing. Depending on where you live, a form or forms may need to be signed by a witness and be notarized. You can ask a lawyer to help you with the process, but it is generally not necessary. Links to state-specific forms can be found on the websites of various organizations such as the American Bar Association AARP, and the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Review your advance directives with your doctor and your healthcare agent to be sure you have filled out forms correctly. When you have completed your documents, you need to do the following. Keep the originals in a safe but easily accessible place. Give a copy to your doctor. Give a copy to your healthcare agent and any alternate agents. Keep a record of who has your advance directives. Talk to family members and other important people in your life about your advance directives and your healthcare wishes. By having these conversations now, you help ensure that your family members clearly understand your wishes. Having a clear understanding of your preferences can help your family members avoid conflict and feelings of guilt. Carry a wallet-sized card that indicates you have advanced directives. Identifies your healthcare agent and states where a copy of your directives can be found. This is a public service announcement from the In His Holy Name Ministry, a Catholic mental health ministry with the Franciscans of Joy of the Gospel and the Independent Catholic Church of the Americas. Give me that old time religion. Give me that. 
do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. And it's good enough for me. Oh. Give me that The church sexual abuse scandal goes beyond the Catholic Church. Sexual abuse is a global issue that has affected various institutions, not excluding religious organizations. The Roman Catholic Church and evangelical communities have both been implicated in cases of sexual abuse. This podcast will compare and contrast the history and prevalence of sexual abuse within these two institutions, as well as their responses to allegations of abuse. By examining these topics, we can gain a better understanding of the institutional culture and factors that contribute to sexual abuse, as well as the effectiveness of policies and procedures implemented to prevent future incidents. The prevalence of sexual abuse in religious institutions is alarming, with estimates suggesting that as much as 10% of reported sexual abuse cases are related to religious organizations. The public eye has been on the Roman Catholic Church, but all denominations and all religious organizations have been plagued by abuse. The Roman Catholic Church has a long and troubling history of sexual abuse. The first reported cases of abuse date back to the 11th century, and the issue has continued to plague the Church through modern times. The prevalence of abuse varies in different regions of the world, with particularly high rates in countries such as Ireland and the United States. The institutional culture of the church has been identified as a major factor that enabled abuse to occur. The Catholic Church has been criticized for prioritizing the reputation of the institution over the safety of its members, and for failing to hold abusers accountable. History and prevalence of sexual abuse in evangelical communities have also been implicated in church cases of sexual abuse. Although the issue has received less attention than in the Catholic Church, The first reported cases of abuse within evangelical communities date back to the 1970s, and the prevalence of abuse varies in different regions of the world. Factors that contribute to abuse within evangelical communities include the emphasis on male authority and the lack of oversight and accountability. In some cases, abusers have been protected by the community and allowed to continue their abusive behavior. The responses to sexual abuse in the Roman Catholic Church and evangelical communities have differed in significant ways. The Catholic Church has been criticized for its slow and inadequate response to allegations of abuse, with many cases going unreported or unpunished. In contrast, some evangelical communities have been more proactive in addressing abuse, with some churches implementing policies and procedures to prevent abuse and protect victims. However, the effectiveness of these policies and procedures has been questioned, and there is still much work to be done to prevent future incidents of abuse in both institutions. Sexual abuse is a serious issue that affects all institutions, including religious organizations. The history and prevalence of abuse in the Roman Catholic Church and evangelical communities highlight the need for greater accountability and oversight in these institutions. While the responses to abuse have differed, 
Both institutions must work to prevent future incidents of abuse and protect victims. By examining these issues, we can better understand the factors that contribute to abuse and work towards creating safer and more just communities. The abuse of power by both clergy, church staff, and volunteers has caused significant harm to victims and has shaken the trust of the universal church community. Abuse in the church has eroded public trust in religious institutions in general. And it has shaken the faith of many believers. One way to prevent sexual abuse is through the implementation of background checks for those in positions of authority. While background checks are not foolproof, they can serve as an important tool in identifying potential abusers and increasing accountability in the church. Background checks can play a crucial role in preventing sexual abuse in the church. Firstly, background checks can identify individuals with a history of sexual misconduct. This information can help prevent abusers from being placed in positions of authority where they have access to vulnerable individuals. Secondly, background checks can deter potential abusers from seeking positions of authority. Maybe the most important policy within your church is your organization's zero-tolerance policy within harassment prevention. This is because the zero-tolerance policy sets the tone for the whole organization and is the basis on which all other policies and procedures are based. A written and communicated zero-tolerance policy informs everyone within the church. Sexual abuse prevention policies are essential in protecting vulnerable members of our society, including minors and women. It is important to have clear guidelines in place to ensure that all individuals are safe from any form of sexual abuse. This policy should include points on how to prevent and respond to sexual abuse, as well as how to provide support for survivors. Additionally, it should also address the specific needs of minors and women who may be more vulnerable to such forms of abuse. By incorporating these policy points, we can create a safer environment for everyone in our community. When someone in your church is suspected of either being an abuser or being abused, it is important to take action and report it to the appropriate state agency, or at the minimal, your local police department. As clergy, staff, and volunteers, you have a responsibility to protect those who are vulnerable and ensure their safety. It is also important to remember that many states require that certain individuals such as clergy members, staff, and volunteers are mandatory reporters. This means that they must report any suspected abuse or neglect to the appropriate state agency. By reporting any suspected abuse or neglect in your church community, you can help protect those who may be vulnerable and ensure their safety. Sexual abuse is a serious crime, and it's important to report it when you see or hear about it. It is a difficult decision to make when you suspect abuse, but don't have any proof. On the one hand, reporting suspected abuse can help protect victims and bring justice to perpetrators. On the other hand, if you report without any evidence, it could lead to false accusations and create unnecessary stress for everyone involved. It is important to consider all of the implications before making a decision on whether or not to report suspected abuse. Weighing up the pros and cons of reporting can help you decide what is best in each case. Ultimately, it is up to each individual to decide whether they should or should not report suspected abuse without proof. It is essential to recognize the prevalence of sexual abuse in the church, its various forms, and its consequences. We must also acknowledge that this problem is not limited to one denomination or region, but affects all churches and all religions.
The church must be proactive and take steps to address this issue and end it once and for all. The cure has to start from within. And the leaders of the organizations must move past the uncomfortable and address the issues by doing what it right. The shepherd must take care of the flock. This is Father Chris, reminding each of us to act justly, love with mercy, and walk humbly with God. Give me that old-time religion. Old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. Give me that old-time religion. Old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time. Mental health affects us all. In fact, 50% of us will experience a mental health challenge within our lifetime. The In His Holy Name Mental Health Ministry encourages honest conversation to improve our understanding of mental health and psychiatric illnesses, as well as how it impacts everyone. Whether you've had a challenge yourself, or know somebody who has, education, advocacy and spiritual support can be your alley. To learn more about the Independent Catholic Church of the Americas and the In His Holy Name Ministry, look us up on the web at His Holy Name, one word, dot, yolasite, one word, dot com.